0: So, it's the holidays, and we need to give our valued team members and staff some time away from sitting at their computers and editing audio. So, in case you missed a Tech You Should Know podcast, we're grabbing some of our finest podcasts of the year, and I think you're going to love it. We'll be back soon with a brand new podcast for you, but meanwhile, Happy Thanksgiving and Happy Holidays and Merry Christmas from all of us at commando.com. And enjoy this show from Tech You Should Know archives. (music) I once asked a man in France if he played video games, and he said, we. Okay, that was bad, but I saw you smile. How would you like to walk around life knowing that you're the guy who made the worst video game in history? A little hard on the ego, huh? Well, this guy's definitely bounced back. Welcome to Tech You Should Know. As the pandemic wears on, I thought we could all use a little kick in the butt and some wise words from my friend Howard Scott Warshaw. He was a very popular game designer for Atari in the late 70s and early 80s. He made Yars' Revenge, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., and now he's known as the Silicon Valley Therapist. Well, that and the guy who made the worst video game in history. We're going to talk with Howard about his start at Atari, the video game industry, of course, and how he became the therapist for all Silicon Valley's movers and shakers. And also, he's got some great tips on how to cope with the pandemic. This Tech You Should Know podcast is from our archives, but definitely one you don't want to miss. So sit back and enjoy. So, Howard, thanks for joining us. What is it like walking around with the title of, like, the guy who had the worst video game in history?
1: Uh, Actually, it feels pretty good. You know, I'm a guy who likes distinctions, and it's hard to deny that one.
0: (laughs) And so I just realized when you sent that note that, like, we are a part of, like, six degrees of separation here.
1: Unbelievable. Yeah. So you're talking about New Jersey.
0: That's right. I mean, I went to an all-girls Catholic high school, uh, Mount St. Mary's in Watchung, New Jersey, which was at the top of the hill, and I was class president and all this other great stuff, and I couldn't wait to get out of New Jersey and move to California. Uh,
1: That's funny, because that's what I did. I mean, I didn't go to the all-girls school, though. I would have volunteered, I'm sure, at the time. <laughs> but I, I I spent a lot of time on Terrell Road in Scotch Plains, New Jersey, God, and Terrell totally. Road runs right down to Route 22 and then right up the mountain, and there's that Mount St. Mary's Academy. That's and true. I saw that so many times. It was am- I never knew anyone who went there. <laughs> I always well, saw that, so I thought, what an amazing building.
0: And, oh, you know what? It was an amazing education, really. But I was part of, like, uh, the grow-up-quick part of my life. <laughs> and so I graduated mm-hmm. high school when I was 15. and Nice. Uh, and went straight to college, which was kind of a weird thing in retrospect, because I look at my son, who's 19, and he's a freshman in college. And, you know, being, like, 15, 16 with college, I mean, there's a big age spread. You know, it's not so much like when you hit 30 and 33, but, you know, 16 and 20 <laughs> – it's kind of a different That's place. a big
1: difference. That's it a, is. Well, you're talking 25% of a life at that point.
0: Yeah. So
1: that's it's a that, huge difference.
0: That is. So, uh, so we're talking about computer programmers, and as you know, I got a, I have a degree in that, and I think the only, the, one of the things that it taught me, probably the most important thing that I still take with me today, is the ability to problem-solve. That if a, if a happens, then B happens, or C or D, and so you can think very logically. Mm-hmm. And so now, as you have progressed from being the video game designer programmer, and now you're a therapist, how does that affect the
1: way that you think? That's a really interesting question. So... Does it affect the way I think? One of the, th- the way it affected me the most deeply was I had to be a lot more cognizant about how I'm coming across to other people because traditionally I am a wild and crazy guy. And when you become a therapist, you don't necessarily want to be the wild and crazy guy <laughs> when people are coming to see you. So that's one way it affected me. But a lot of people see it as this huge transition right, from being a programmer, which most people register as low people skills, to being a therapist, which hopefully most people would register as high people skills. I I never saw it as that big a transition, though. I mean, the way I see it is programmers and therapists were all systems analysts, right? It's just that now I'm working on a much more sophisticated hardware in the human brain. So... For me, it didn't feel that way. But to tell you the truth, I've worked a lot with programmers and, and a lot with therapists. And uh, yeah, not all programmers have a lot of people killed, so though. No, that.
0: They, they don't. I think that's why I didn't fit in. Because my first job, I worked at IBM. And I just couldn't <laughs> sit there all day. You know, I was like, whoa, what is this?
1: Oh, no. That's but- funny because when the first, you know, when I. When I graduated college, I got a job offer from Hewlett-Packard, and I was going to—I was in school in New Orleans because I went from New Jersey to New Orleans, and I couldn't wait to get out of New Jersey. <laughs> and so I was just like you. I took off. I went to New Orleans. Only I didn't graduate early from high school. I graduated on time from high school, but I accelerated my college because I couldn't wait to get out of college and get into, like, real life. And when it came time to leave, so then I was – I had flown out, interviewed with HP, and accepted a job with them. And then IBM called me up. And they said, hey, we'd like you to come out and interview. I said, you know, that would be nice, but I don't want to waste your time and money. I said, I've already accepted a position at HP. And they go, that's, you know, if you haven't started working there, that's no big deal. That was an interesting introduction to business ethics. <laughs> but what was interesting, I, I said to them, I said, besides this, I don't really think IBM is uh, the place for me. And so he goes, well, why not? What do you think? And I said, well, I said, you know, I'm, I'm a little flamboyant for an engineer. <laughs> so, so I'm kind of wild. And he goes, oh, he goes, I know what you mean. He goes, but let me tell you, we've really loosened up here. And I go, oh, yeah? He goes, yeah. He goes, like, for instance, a lot of our programmers, they don't even have to wear ties anymore. <laughs> and I just started laughing. I said, you know, I don't think we're talking about the same thing here.
0: <laughs> well, you know, you what's know, funny about IBM? is that that so i i started working in like the programming department and then i said you know maybe i should try sales so they moved Mm -hmm. me over to sales so i'm noticing like you know i'm driving like this crappy pontiac okay and there are these Mm -hmm. people who are driving like bmw's and i'm like okay how do i get to be a bmw driver around here you know what i mean and so mm-hmm. I went to my manager, who was a woman, and I said to her, uh, you know, how do I get to be part of the national sales division? And she said, you know what? I'm sorry, you're never going to be part of that. And I said, what do you mean? She said, mm-hmm. you, have, you have to come out with me. Let's go have a drink. Now, keep in mind, I still wasn't 21 yet, okay, because, you know, mm-hmm. the whole life acceleration program. So we go out for a drink. Thankfully, nobody cards me. And... Um, And she says to me, you know what? You'll never work in that division because you're young and you're pretty and you're blonde. And they really want middle-aged men who have have families to support.
1: Oh.
0: And so I went, oh, well, that's not going to work for me. So I called up. I actually went back to my desk like the next day at IBM. And I called up. (laughs) the division manager at AT&T and said, I'm Kim Commando and I work for IBM and I'd love to work for AT&T. Would you like to interview me?
1: <laughs> nice. That's interesting. That's how I got to Atari. Well, I was drowning at Hewlett-Packard. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to knock Hewlett-Packard. Hewlett-Packard's a great company, but my impression in 1979 when I arrived at Hewlett-Packard was like, this is like a software pastor. This is where programmers go to die. <laughs> I just—it was to just all the excitement and thrill and interest of uh, real microprocessor programming and stuff that I had learned in college had disappeared, and I was so desperate. And then, and also, it was like a graveyard. It really was. It was—I w- I was the wildest person there. Now, that's not necessarily a good standard because I was kind of the wildest person most places I worked, but. uh I found out there was this other place where people were more exciting and, and dynamic stuff happened, and they were working on some hot technology. And I said, "Where's that?" Oh, it's Atari. I said, "Atari." It never occurred to me to go work at Atari. I called them up, talked my way into an interview, and then they rejected me. I talked my way past the rejection, was able to work myself in on a. I took a twenty percent cut in salary to wow. go to Atari, and uh, on probation. And started working in my first game was Yar's Revenge, and uh, basically I proved myself, and I was okay having to prove myself. It was a, it was exactly where I needed to be. Great place. In fact, so, I'm writing a book about that now.
0: Which I, you know what, I love the story about smoking pot. <laughs> <Which I think laughs> just...
1: You like that story? You that, all can tell that story if you like.
0: Yeah, that's that's a phenomenal story. I mean, because you know that's the last thing that somebody would expect. Just. Bring us all up to date. Well,
1: that came up. That came up in the interviews. I mean, at some point during the interview process, people were saying, to "Me, you know, how do you feel about smoking pot?" And I'm like, "I've never been asked that in an interview before." I said, "It depends on which angle you're coming from." And they said, "Well, there's you, there's quite a bit of marijuana smoke around here, you know, on day to day basis." So I said, "Um, that will not be a problem for me." <laughs> so it was uh, interesting, but you know, my introduction, my first day at work uh, I went, it was an interesting day a lot of really amazing stuff happened but towards the end of the day uh, I was reading some manuals in my office and my office mate who I really hadn't met yet because he wasn't around during the day when they plucked me into the office uh, comes in, shuts the door pulls out a baggie and says I'm going to get high right now if you don't want to be here you need to leave right now <laughs> so and I looked at him, and I said, nah, I said, I'm okay with that. And frankly, and I had, since I had learned about that at the interviews, I had rolled a joint that I brought with me, you know, because who doesn't bring a joint to their first day at work, sure. right? It's
0: like, you know, like bringing your <laughs> so, own lunch
1: bag. Exactly. <laughs> so, so I said to him, I said, hey, you know, here, I actually brought some here. I'd be happy, you know, you want to be a, a good guest. <laughs> and he, he looks at me and he goes, Sorry, he goes, no offense, but I'm going to smoke some real stuff. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I, thought, I thought to myself, wow. You know, I thought, you know, my roommate is a pot uh, a snob. And so, but uh, I said, fine. So he rolled up a joint of what he had and we smoked it. And I realized he was actually not a snob. He was a connoisseur. <laughs> was-
0: yes, I mean, there's a difference between, you know, two-buck Chuck and, you know, ZD Chardonnay,
1: right? Exactly, and it's. uh, I just realized if I was going to make it at Atari, I was going to have to up my game on several levels. (laughs) It was a very interesting introduction.
2: Hey, if you love this digital stuff and you love to be on the cutting edge of what's going on, sign up for Kim's Breaking Tech News. So We've got security alerts, we've got data breaches, and much more digital know-how. It's the free Commando newsletters. You can get yours, again, free at Commander.com, which is K-O-M-A-N-D-O. And on the top, click on the Get the Newsletters button, and you got them. And just ahead, Kim continues her conversation with Howard Scott Warshaw. Next up, how people are coping with the pandemic.
0: So here we are in in the, in the midst of this global pandemic, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, I have to tell you, I think people approach this whole this whole pandemic on various levels. I mean, I see this within my family. I mean, we call it uh, on one side of the family the pandemic nineteen because they've gained like twenty pounds, right? <laughs>
1: um, you know,
0: I like that. I, I have, on the other hand, I was looking because I have a Peloton bike. I mean, the Peloton app and the, my email is like going, are you okay? Because you're like on the Peloton bike every single day. We've never seen you exercise so much. I've cleaned out the laundry room. I've cleaned out my closet. I've, uh, I've done things that I've been putting off because I said I just didn't have the time. I go see my mother twice or three times a day. She lives in my guest house, but normally I'd see her like once a day, right? And so uh, I'm going for drives with my son and having these incredible conversations with him and spending more time with my husband than, you know, I always thought like, how how are we dealing with each other 24-7, right? But it's actually okay. It is. It's okay. And so it's time versus discipline. Um, right. are, you, are you seeing that in your practice as well?
1: Uh, absolutely. I'm, well, there's a number of angles that people are coming from. It sounds like you're you're sort of getting the best of both worlds. It sounds like you're able to be productive and move forward, which a lot of people are feeling pressure to do because, hey, we finally got time. I'm finally, sitting around at home. Which, I, how many times have people say to themselves? If I could just get a few days at home, I could get so many of these projects done, I just can't seem to get a break or a moment. And now suddenly we're all there at home. And so for some people, it's 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 amazing, right? For healthy relationships, it's just great spending time with loved ones and really reconnecting and getting together. Uh, it's an opportunity. you know. Some people are, are absolutely, they're living in the cleanest, best organized version of home they've <laughs> ever been in.
0: <laughs> it's true. And it's I mean, great. I actually texted my mother yesterday and I said, what do you think is the best way to clean the wrought iron front door gate? <laughs> <laughs> and she texted me back. She said, who is this?
1: exactly i mean new sides of ourselves emerge you know and it's you find things it's suddenly there's opportunities that we don't really have that a lot of times we wish for but you know there's another side of it too which is that i deal with with a lot of people and that is that for a lot of people they recognize this idea that this is an opportunity and some people even feel very pressured to try and take advantage of it but they're not up to it and it's like there's a sad irony to the idea that I finally am given the opportunity to do this thing I've always wished for, and I can't seem to take advantage of it, and it's really difficult for them.
0: What's stopping them?
1: There's a thing that's going on. And this, is, this is my clinical opinion about this. Is that there's a thing I call the quest for okay, and this is something we all engage in and what that is is that we're always trying to figure out what okay is you know we don't all want to be like amazingly successful or super high achievers but everybody wants to be at least okay and we usually know what okay is and and if we're okay we're okay if we're not okay we still have an idea of what that is and what it means and how to get there but in this situation, this is something that most of us have never experienced in our lives, and it's so different and and such a radical change that suddenly the idea of what okay is is kind of lost. I don't know what okay means in this new environment, but you know because I need to find out what okay is, it's this drive within me. Uh, I'm spending a lot of extra energy uh, in my brain trying to resolve these things that I'm I don't know how to resolve yet. So the way I look at it is it's, it's like a cellular phone. It's like a cell phone, okay? It's when you take a cell phone to a place with very little signal, uh, it may work, it may be spotty, it may not work, but one thing is for sure is that phone is going to start boosting its signal and spending more energy and, and upping its output trying to find a good signal. And so whatever else goes on when you're in a weak, signal area your battery drains faster and I think the same thing is happening for us here a lot of us have lost our signal with what regular life is and so we're spending a lot of extra energy trying to reconnect and figure out what that is but we don't know what to connect to but our batteries are draining more quickly than we're used to so typical stuff things I've done all the time usual little tasks for some people just feel like you know I'm exhausted after doing it, stuff I'm used to doing without thinking about it. That's because I'm doing so much thinking about it.
0: Is it kind of like when you are trying to piece together things you just don't understand? I mean, if anybody would have t- said this to Howard like three or six months ago, that you know we would be living this life. I know, like, you know, sometimes I was looking at Fox News with Trump standing there. I'm like, I'm like flicking my forehead going, wait a minute. Are you awake? I mean, is this really happening? And and it was really hard for me in the beginning to put my arms around it. And I found what I did, because I couldn't control it, is that I tried to control other things. Meaning that I made sure that we have enough meat in the freezer. I made sure that we have Robitussin if we need it. I mean, uh, I didn't hoard the toilet paper. Don't blame it on me. But I did make sure we have enough of that. <laughs> And toilet paper, and paper towels, and hand sanitizer, and you know, and I, and I, my mother keeps looking at me. She's like, you know, do you have any like strawberry jam? I'm like, of course I have strawberry jam. I mean, why would you ask such a question? <laughs> uh, but that was the way that that I kind of dealt with this emotionally and intellectually. Well, it makes
1: sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, when when we when we're feeling out of control. Picking up something we can control can increase our sense of security, and that's that's a very important thing, right? Security is is one of these things we always try to take care of, but we don't always acknowledge. You know, so, okay, we got these signals that life is suddenly going to be something I've never really prepared for, thought about, or did. So what am I going to do? Well, you know, some people grab toilet paper, some people grab butter, some people grab guns. You know, it's interesting the things that have run, that there's been runs on. But uh, but everybody's going to try and make everything as okay as possible.
0: I made sure that I had enough wine. That was it.
1: Yeah, you are not alone there. <laughs> <laughs> so when that, right, because that's an important thing.
0: So when you're talking about the cell phone signal, and this is what I wanted to talk to you about, too, was that. You have this great uh, essay, I want to say, over on LinkedIn that I read because, you know, it seems that a lot of people are tired, and I see that with certain people in my family. I'm like, well, how can you be tired? You slept for 10 hours. I mean, what's going on with you? <laughs> I mean.
1: Well, there's there's a word called hypersomnia. that's invented just for that. You know, some, when people are really disrupted, they react differently the one thing they don't do is be okay, generally. They're not their usual self. So what's happening, there's another thing that's going on besides this whole okay thing, and that is, uh, you know, you know, most of us are familiar with circadian rhythms, right? We have rhythms and ways that we know when to be awake, awake, when to be asleep, and things like that. And sleep sleep is a hugely important thing for people, right? I mean, you know, in the, the DSM, which is the list of all the psychological maladies that can befall people, you know, the list of problems, essentially, there's a whole section about sleep. You know, you know, lack of sleep or interruptions of sleep can be really problematic for people. And the thing is, these circadian rhythms, they depend on the sun, you know, rising and, and setting, but they also depend on our behavioral aspects, the things we do on a regular basis. Like, we're used to getting up you know, maybe eating breakfast, maybe exercising, we go to work, we see people, we see friends, maybe we go out to dinner with somebody. We know what Monday is like. We know what Wednesday is like. We know what Saturday is like. We have ways of knowing how we're moving through the day and through the week. And suddenly, in one moment, all of those signs, all those little signposts, all those signals were just wiped out, just eviscerated. So suddenly, my body doesn't have the usual checkpoints it goes through on a day-to-day basis. Now, some people are used to having an erratic or a home-based schedule in the first place, and they're gonna be less impacted by this kind of thing. But for a lot of people, they had a regular routine that now is not there, and on a very subtle level, their body is going, hey, Where's that intersection that we always have to sit at for 92 seconds before the light changes? You know, where's that thing where we're walking by Joe's desk on the way to the coffee thing? That, that's a ritual. It's something I used right. to do. I mark my day that way. And now it's not there. And what it does is it, it, it actually mis- uh, it, it forces our body to misinterpret where time is, how we're doing, and it interrupts. You know, I call them circadian signals. They're the little markers along the way. When those are interrupted, our body is not really clear on when we should be awake and when we should go to sleep. So what happens is it starts interrupting our sleep. Uh, Some people sleep less. Some people sleep more. But the sleep is not super restful. We're really working in the back of our mind about what's really happening. what, What am I missing? How can I get somewhere with this? And that's a lot of work. You know, your brain consumes a lot of the energy you spend in a day, and now most people's brains are working overtime.
0: So, what do you do about this? I mean, do you make a, a list? Do you have a notebook by your bed? I mean, these are like standard things that people say. You know, if you wake up and you have an idea, you want your, you know, if you are awake, uh, don't try to force yourself to go back to sleep. Just get up and do something, even just watch, you know, something stupid on Netflix. I mean, what do
1: you do? I'm a member of that school, okay? Because I think, you know, I'm a go-with-the-flow kind of guy when it comes to universal stuff. There's plenty of things I complain about and oppose. Don't get me wrong in my life. But when it, it, when it comes to, like, dealing with life and the universe, I think going with how things are is better than fighting them because usually it's a, hope, it's a lost cause when you try to fight it. So And with sleep, it's kind of like that. See, the, th- the number one thing to avoid, in my opinion, is to not spend time in bed, in anxiety, because I'm not sleeping. If I'm punishing myself for not sleeping, A, it's not going to get me to sleep. And B, it's going to cost me more energy, and I'm going to be frustrated, and it's going to build all the negative stuff and no positive stuff. So my little ritual is, you know, I call it the big three sometimes. But before I go to sleep, before I'm going to get in bed and get ready to go to sleep, I think of like three things, three tasks. You know, one for a work or school kind of thing, one for pure fun and enjoyment, and one for some sort of growth or spiritual or intellectual growth. So maybe there's an article I want to read. Maybe there's a video I wanted to watch. You know, or maybe there's a journal I want to write in, and I think of one task for each of those things. And if I find myself awake in bed for more than a few minutes, and I I just know that's it, I'm up, instead of starting to torture myself and saying, what's wrong with you? Oh, my God, you can't sleep. Now it's going to ruin the day. Oh, what's it going to be like? It's easy to go down that rabbit hole. Instead, I'm going to say, you know, I'm up. Let's do something. At least I can make this time somewhat productive. I'm going to get something of value out of this time because you know what? I'm going to fall asleep eventually. (laughs) You can't keep me up forever. I might as well work with the time I have. That's sort of the attitude I bring to it initially. Does that make any sense?
0: Yeah, it does. You know, my husband used to used to note used to take Ambien to go to sleep. That is the worst drug in the entire planet.
1: I mean, it has some I, interesting side effects. Oh my
0: gosh! I mean, I would get up in the morning and there would be like peanut butter and jelly all over the kitchen. I'm like, did we just have like a peanut butter and jelly massacre? I mean, while well, uh, you know, or one time it was yeah, sleep this, eaters. Yes, but when I told him that this had to stop, was that I went, I got dressed, went to work, and I opened the garage door, and his car was running.
1: Oh my god! The car was running. Yes, in the garage. And wow. I'm like,
0: okay, dude, this junk is no longer allowed in the house. I mean, and he's and he had it's, no yeah, that's... no memory of it whatsoever. No memory. So you know, now he has a, a cocktail, and <laughs> it seems to work fine. But.
1: Right. And that works too. Pharmaceuticals, uh, you know, alcohol, a lot. There's a lot of alternatives to ambient, and some people are resorting to, uh, you know, sleep aids of various kinds. And, you know, if that works for you, that's great.
2: Hey, don't forget if you've got a good question about something digital, you can get Kim's unbiased advice. And it's advice that you can trust. America's Digital Pro, Kim Commando, and our nationally syndicated radio show. You just go to Commander.com, and in the upper right-hand corner, click on the Be a Caller button. We're going to ask you your name and for a couple of details about your question. Set up a time where you can be on the show, ask your question on the show. It is fun. You can call your friends and let them know that you're going to be on the show. And that's, again, the Be a Caller button in the upper right at Commando.com. Just ahead, Kim and howard are going to talk about some tips for dealing with the pandemic lifestyle
0: what are what are some like what are some fine tips that you can give somebody if they're having trouble dealing with what's going on in in their lives
1: uh well there's a you know there's a number of different takes on that i mean for, there's there's also there's different kinds of situations right. There are some people who are just fine, okay? There are people who are just fine. They're in good relationships. They're not alone. They have people they care about. They're enjoying the time together. Now, for some of them, they have a problem because, geez, I'm actually okay and feeling kind of good about this, but there's a lot of people who are really suffering and having a problem. Is it okay that I feel all right about this? And, you know, which is an interesting phenomenon. And to those people, what I would say is, you know, when you're staying home during a pandemic, you are contributing to the solution. You are actually doing something effectively to minimize it. If you're not going out, you are not contracting anything and you are not spreading anything. That is a valuable contribution at a time like this. So, and and can you really do more? It's hard to say. So. You've got to be okay with where you're at. Don't worry too much about other people. I mean, be empathetic and concerned, but don't become distraught because other people are having trouble. Now, for some people, they were in a horrible situation. There are people in abusive relationships. There, the, the thing that I keep picturing is the people, you know, someone was on their way home to end their relationship, yes. and just before they hand over the papers, oh, by the way, there's an announcement, we're all in shot lockdown now, it's like, wow. You know, I thought about
0: that too, I was like, oh my gosh, somebody's in a horrible relationship, or especially, you know, unfortunately, if somebody has, you know, a special needs child that during the day, they could maybe, you know, get some things done, and now they can't.
1: Exactly, Yeah. And, you know, even just having to homeschool, if you have a number of young kids and you have to homeschool them in addition to whatever else you're trying to do, suddenly there's a huge burden on people. And for some people, life was not great and just got worse, much worse. And that's, you know, and for those people, I mean, I hope they have, you know— people they can call and reach out to and contact because those people need serious help and support. And uh, casual advice is not for those people. You know, it's it's important to recognize for some people, they're in a very serious and dangerous situation and they need to deal with that right away. I don't have any, you know, you know, fancy uh, quick Quick, quick fixes for people like that. I just hope those people have access to resources or places to reach out to because that's, that's an important thing, and it's a, it's a difficult situation. But, you know, for the majority of people, uh, life has suddenly really switched. Life is way different than anything they expected it to be for a while. So the first thing I would say is, you know, you've got to accept what's going on. You have to realize, okay, What we're dealing with is uncertainty. We don't know how long this goes on. We don't know if it goes away and comes back. There's a lot of things we don't know. And most people are not okay with not knowing what's next. We would much rather have a false idea of what's coming next but believe in it, than we would just have to deal with the idea that we don't know what's next. That's hard. It's just a hard thing. So one of the first things is in not fighting yourself is accept that this is a difficult, challenging thing. And what we're going to do is we're going to make the most of it. We're going to do the best that we can, because that's all anybody can do anytime. And so if you get that mindset, once you get there, now it's like, okay, so what can I do to help myself? Am I having sleep irregularities? If so, prepare activities you're going to do while you're awake. Another thing is start building a regular a schedule you used to have a regular schedule of things you should build a new regular schedule of things and not the same thing every day at the same time but create a Monday schedule a Tuesday schedule so that you can actually differentiate the days a little bit that will help people start to self regulate again
0: it's all really really good advice you know it, it sounds Like, practical advice, but when you hear somebody else say it with authority and with the education and finesse that you have, I mean, I I think we're really going to help a lot of folks out.
1: Well, honestly, that's all I could hope for. I mean, I really, I can honestly say I did get into this business to help people. In fact, you could say that my life has come full circle in that regard because I used to work in video games and now I'm a psychotherapist who works predominantly with a lot of nerds you know frankly and, <laughs> and you know what the way I look at it is my, I used to entertain nerds with my video games but now in therapy I am actually making their lives better and it's all it was a long circuitous route but it wraps back around to get here and I'm just really honored uh, to do this work and I'm also honored to be able to talk to someone from right at the Scotch Plains watch on border at Route twenty two and (laughs) because I know what it's like to grow up there and think I gotta get out of here. I gotta go somewhere else. (laughs) There's gotta be
0: There's gotta be someplace better. Well, you know, and it is funny that you're that you like were just a few miles from me at some point. And here I have a joke for you. Just just this is a New Jersey joke. You ready?
1: Okay, I'm ready.
0: In a progressive move, I don't know if you heard that Mattel is making a new boyfriend for Barbie, who happens to be a homeless man from New Jersey. Did you hear that?
1: No, I didn't.
0: It's Hobo Ken.
1: Nice. Nice. (laughs) Nice. I just always settled for, you know, the state sport of New Jersey is bowling. Yeah.
0: Isn't that frightening? I know. Well, Howard, thanks so much for joining us. Really. You're fabulous. Kim, It's
1: always a pleasure. I'm always happy to chat with you.
0: Hey, thanks for joining us. You know, Bill Gates said that the pandemic won't be over until 2021. And, you know, he should be right. He's got a lot of intel. Bo-dum-bum. Uh, you can get Howard Scott Warsher's newest book, Inspired Therapist, My Inner Journey from Be to Healer, over on Amazon. And if you like this podcast, you found it interesting or helpful, be sure to share it out with your family members and friends. Now, this is not the Kim Commando Show podcast. My three-hour weekend radio show is only available by subscription. You can get a free 30-day trial over at getkim.com. No promo code required. After the 30 days, it's just a few bucks a month. But we also offer a discount for seniors, militaries, vets, and service personnel, so you might want to check that out. And a thanks to Mike James, our production wizard, and Cassidy Zimrick for all their work in pulling this episode from the archives. And, of course, a big thanks out to our friend Howard Scott. Don't forget, you can always find me 24-7 over at commando.com. That's k o m a n d dot